Good morning, ladies. Last week, as Pam led us through chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, she helped us to see Paul's main point for that section, which was that all of the Christian life is by faith, through the Spirit, not by what you do. Paul had moved from explaining justification by faith at the end of chapter 2 to trying to shock the Galatian Christians back to their senses with a series of rhetorical questions, and then explaining that Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, was justified by his faith in God's promise. Today, we're going to look at how Paul contrasts justification by faith in God's promise with faith in works of the law that we perform. However, since the contrast that we are going to look at today started in last week's passage, let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll do a little exercise to ground ourselves in the literary context. Okay? So, uh, turn with me to Galatians, verse 1, or um, if you want, you can read it from your yellow worksheet. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, so let's um, start our literary content or context exercise. Um, Each of you has two worksheets today, a yellow one of the text to mark up as we do this exercise and another one, a white one with two sets of diagrams. Um, And there's also a notes page in your workbook on page 26 that you can use however you'd like. These are tools for you. Um, So if the melodic line of Galatians is something like, justification is by faith alone in Christ, don't distort the gospel. Um, And if we want to break Galatians up into smaller sections of text, 
We might say um, chapters 1 and 2 are Paul defending his authority as an apostle and therefore the gospel he preaches. We might say um, chapters 3 and 4 are Paul's theological arguments supporting his gospel. And chapters 5 and 6 are the practical application of that theology. Um, We could go further. We could hone in on chapters 3 and 4 and say in chapter 3, Paul is contrasting faith in God's promises with faith in our works of the law. Um, And then we could chunk the chapter up and find out what the main point is for each section. Some of you uh, enjoy analysis. I know I do. Uh, Taking things apart is much easier than putting them back together and figuring out what they mean. Um, But we are going to try and do both today. So gear up. Here we go. Um, I'd like you to take out the yellow worksheet. um, And I want us to start by bracketing out four sets of verses. So verses 1 through 5, verse 6, verses 7 through 9, and verses 10 through 14. Now a question you might ask is, how did you decide where to begin and end the brackets? And that's a good question. Um, If you were working on finding the structure of this passage, you might divide it up a little differently, and that's fine. Um, For me, it made sense to group the sentences by topic as I'm following Paul's argument. So that's how I've chunked it up today. Um, So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and I'll give you about five minutes to see if you can identify the main point of each section that we just bracketed and then we'll come back together and look at them. Okay, so verses one through five, um, we've got rhetorical questions that are regarding the spirit versus works of the law. In verse six, um, I call it the Abraham hinge. We have uh, faith in God's promises equals being counted righteous. Um, Verses seven through nine kind of ask the questions, who are the sons of Abraham and how are they blessed? Um, And then verses 10 through 14, we're looking at the curse of the law and then Christ and blessing and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the contrast that Paul makes in verses 6 through 14. So this might feel redundant for some of you since we did some contrasting in our workbooks this week, but I think Paul's goal for us is to very clearly see the contrast. So I will risk it if it means um, that this point really hits home for us. So on your white worksheet, you have a T-shaped diagram um, and Paul has two categories of people in this section of verses. Um, One is found in verses 6 through 9, and the other is found in verses 10 through 14. So can someone shout out the category for verses 6 through 9? Thanks. Yep. Those who are of faith. Good. And then how about 10 through 14? Yeah, all who rely on works of the law. Good, thank you. Um, So before we go further, I think it's worth mentioning um, that in the Greek, this contrast is even clearer. So uh, in verses seven and nine, hoi ek 
os is those who are of faith. Um, and in verse 10, hosoi gar ex ergon naman, ooh, my Greek's a little rusty, um, is all who are of works of the law. So there's this, this very um, clear sense of like, you belong to this group or the other group. There's no other group besides these two to which you can belong. Now, Paul is trying to correct and define their understanding of reality. He's not arguing for some theoretical, theological position, right? He doesn't want his spiritual children to think that Jesus plus works of the law is a category to which they can belong. He wants them to understand that that distortion of the gospel in reality is hosoi ex ergon naman. It's the uh, all who are of works of the law category. Okay. Okay. So let's contrast these by walking through the passage. So in our category, those who are of faith, um, we see lots of different things. Here's a couple of them. Um, they're of faith, right? That's uh, from verse seven. They're sons of Abraham, verse seven. They are blessed, verse nine. Um, and under those who are of works of the law, we see that they're under a curse, which Paul is continuing a slavery theme that, he's, that he started in chapter one, verse four, and chapter two, verse four. Um, they're under a curse because they must abide by and do the law, verse 10. So both a passive and an active obedience. Okay, but then back in the of faith category, from verse 11, we see the righteous live by faith. And then back in the of works of the law category, we see that works of the law are not of faith, but of doing from verse 12. Okay, so I hope that this diagram um, illustrates that the contrast that Paul is making is not that you are blessed if you obey God's law and cursed if you don't. Paul takes pains to point out that one, no one can keep the law. And two, righteousness has always been from faith. So the contrast that Paul is making is that those who are of faith are blessed and those who are of works of the law are under a curse. So one last thing I'd like to mention in terms of um, understanding how the biblical context informs our understanding of this passage is to take a minute to talk about the first Old Testament quotation from um, Deuteronomy 27, 26. So this quotation is from the final curse that was to be read out loud at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim when the Israelites would finally arrive in the promised land. So in chapter 27, Moses commands the people that they set up an altar to the Lord between the mountains, that they read the law out loud to the assembled people, offer burnt offerings, sacrifice peace offerings, eat and rejoice. Did you hear that? Um, Israel obeyed this command under Joshua in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35 at the battle of Ai, or after the battle of Ai. 
part of the instructions they were given was that half of the tribes were to be on Mount Ebal to respond amen when the curses from God's law were read by the Levites. And the other half of the tribes on Mount Gerizim would respond amen when the blessings were read. So like even the imagery that Paul brings up in this section is a one of a stark contrast and of two separate groups of people, one for blessing and one for curse. So there's some illustration there that Paul is using um, through the biblical context. Okay, so now we're going to turn to our last two verses, verses 13 and 14. Um, And I would just like to read those again quickly before um, we move on. So verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So these last two verses are really powerful. I hope um, that as you studied this week that you felt that. Um, We're getting close to the end of this section of his argument. And so Paul is uh, wrapping up his argument by repeating some of the themes that he mentioned in last week's section, like curse versus blessing, slavery versus freedom, um, faith versus law, Abraham and promise and the spirit. Um, And we're going to fill in this diagram to help kind of visualize like what it means to be in Christ. Okay. So will someone read the passage again? Okay, thank you. So did everybody get, um, you have your diagram done? Okay, <laughs> good. All right, let's, let's keep going. So we're going to talk about um, redemption and kind of what exactly that is. So sometimes I think um, the way that we use redemption in our vernacular doesn't help us to understand what Paul is saying here. Um, We often talk of redemption like it's a comeback after a failure. Um, My son Owen plays basketball, and you can imagine the feeling of having a terrible game and feeling like you're a terrible player because of your performance. And then you have a great game, and you feel like you've made up for your failure with your current performance. You've quote-unquote redeemed yourself. Um, But this idea of redemption is the exact opposite of the biblical use of the term. Paul is emphatically not saying that we can redeem ourselves, is he? He is saying that we are under a curse because of both our active and passive failure at keeping the law. We sin both in omission and commission. And the demands of the law are relentless. You must perfectly keep the law your entire life to be acceptable to God. And here's the bad news. We can't move ourselves from the all who are of works of the law category to the those who are of faith category. Why? Because we are slaves to sin. Without Christ, we are stuck here. Slaves aren't free to move. We are bound and shackled to our sinful natures. 
Our slavery to sin exposed by the commands of the law causes the law to pronounce a curse over us. This is why the biblical understanding of the word redemption is so important for us to be able to understand the massive importance of Paul's argument here. We need someone to set us free from our slavery to sin and and the curse of the law. But who can pay the price? There's good news. Jesus Christ has paid the price, the ransom for our souls. He has taken the curse onto himself at the cross and paid our ransom in his blood. He purchases our freedom by becoming a curse for us. And what happened to that capital C curse on the cross? He died. The curse died. So why did Jesus perform this redemption? Verse 14, we have two so that. So we can see the purpose statement. In Christ Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So what is this blessing of Abraham? It's the gospel, right? It's Jesus. It's the promised spirit. So the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And so that in him, all nations would be blessed. Remember this promise that was made to Abraham? Okay. And then also so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. From Paul's rhetorical questions in verses 1 through 5, we know that the Galatians understood the Spirit to be the indicator um, of who is of faith. So he's essentially reiterating verse 2. We receive the Spirit through faith. Um, And one last thing that I just think is sweet for us to notice is that Paul goes from using um, this kind of... um, um, like neutral pronouns, you know, like those and all and things like that to using much more personal pronouns in these last two verses. So you'll notice he says us and we. Um, and so I think there's a sense in which Paul is like, like speaking to the unity that Christ has purchased between Jew and Gentile here. Okay. So um, one last exercise that I have for us today as we process some of what we have learned is um, have a journaling prompt for us. So one of the things that we have been talking about at the North Campus this year um, with the Counseling One Another initiative is the difference between confessional theology and functional theology. So we've spent all morning now talking about our confessional theology But I want us to take some time to reflect on this and apply it to our hearts. So we have a couple questions here to um, help us to think through our functional theology. Where um, does the way that I live not match what I say I believe? Okay, And this is uh, not intended to be um, condemning to anyone, but this is an opportunity for us to kind of lay our hearts before the Lord and to um, 
um, by faith in him and his spirit to be sanctified and to become more like Christ. Um, And so I just want to encourage you to take some time um, to think through these couple questions that are on the back of your yellow sheet as you go home today. Okay. All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, um, your son, you sent your son to redeem us from our slavery. He paid the cost in his blood to free us from our relentless exacting taskmasters of performance and of sin. And he not only redeems us from the curse of the law, but he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets us who were prisoners free to live and worship you in freedom and joy. Father, by your spirit, would you continue to expose our hearts to your life-giving, growth-producing light that we might better see what patterns of sin still remain, what idols we have shrouded in acceptability, and where we still hide our unbelief. Lord, let us not use your word to give ourselves back over to slavery, but would you enable us to use it as you have desired, as the means by which we hear our freedom declared and learn to walk in it. Father, I ask that your spirit would produce fruit in us and that you would set your daughters free. In Jesus' powerful and effective name I pray. Amen.